Jesus, we thank you for this moment we have to study your word, and I ask that you would bless your word, that you would speak to us. Even as we're connected electronically, Lord, we're connected through your Holy Spirit. God, you are everywhere, Lord. You're omnipresent, and that as we're studying together, you can connect us and your Holy Spirit can speak to us. So I ask for your anointing. I ask that in every living room, in every room, every place everyone is right now connected, that they would sense your spirit even more, Lord, right now as we study your word. So speak to us today. Anoint this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about three very proud men who were arguing over their... Pr- their profession. Uh, They're arguing who was the first to be established in the history of the earth. Mine was the first to be established, said the surgeon. The Bible says that Eve was made by carving a rib out of Adam. Not at all, piped up the engineer. My job was the first in history to be established. See, an engineering job came before that. In six days, the earth was created out of chaos and that was an engineer's job but then the politician spoke up and said yes that may be but who created the chaos well history does show that many political leaders have brought much chaos into the lives of people and you know what as we return to our chapter by chapter verse by verse study in the book of Daniel we find the prophecy of a world leader that brought much chaos into the lives of the Hebrew people and this leader is really a precursor to another world leader in the future who will do the same thing and who is that that's the antichrist so this morning I I titled our message, A Preview of the Last World Leader. A Preview of the Last World Leader. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 8. Now, I've broken up this chapter, the whole chapter we're going to study. I've broken it up into three parts. And number one is what's shown to come. Number two is what's sure to come. And number three is what's still to come. All right, a preview of the last world leader, Daniel chapter 8. Let's look at number one in our outline, what's shown to come, what's shown to come. Take a look with me here. Uh, This first section covers Daniel 8 from verse 1 through 14, but take a look at verse 1 and 2 right now. It reads here, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, After that which appeared to me at the first, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. And we'll stop right there. Now, we begin here with how this vision was given to Daniel. And we we find a time frame here. It was given in the third year of when King Belshazzar reigned. Now, if you remember from our last chapter a couple weeks ago in Daniel 7, Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon, which puts this at 551 B.C. That's the date. That's the year, 551 B.C. It's two years actually after the first vision Daniel got that we studied in chapter 7. And the place of this vision, now Daniel is brought to Susa, the citadel. Now that is the, means the city of Susa or Shushan, Shush, I can't say that, Shushan, 200 miles east of Babylon. Uh, Susa later became the capital of the Medo-Persian 
Empire. That was in this province called Elam on the banks of, and here's Daniel on the banks of Ulai Canal, which is like the northwestern region of the Persian Gulf of today. Now, Susa, you might remember that name because that was the setting of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and even Esther. So we see right away in this vision, Daniel was transported now from Babylon in his vision to the banks of this river in Susa. Now, God has given a vision of the future of of world kingdoms in this uh, book we've been studying, right? Back in chapter 2 with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel saw one in chapter 7. And now God brings in uh, more of the future world kingdoms. And what he does here, he's going to bring here more detail, particularly focusing on future world leaders that uh, and one of them that will viciously, viciously oppress and kill uh, his fellow, Daniel's fellow Jewish people. Now, take note, right? This is 551 B.C. And much of what is shown has already happened for us. We're looking back on history. But for Daniel, this is all future. This is all history yet to come. All right, so what is Daniel shown? Well, look at verse 3 and 4 here. Daniel is shown in verse 3 and 4. He says here, uh, I raised my eyes and saw and behold a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him and there was no one who could rescue him from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. All right, so Daniel sees this ram standing on the bank of this river where he's at in this vision. It had two horns, but one was higher than the other. Now, you remember back in chapter 7, we learned that, that the horn represents power and authority of a king or ruler. That, that, that gives that animal that power, right? The horns. Well, we know that these horns represent kings or rulers of the future. And the ram basically represents this empire overall that the two leaders were a part of. Now look at verse 5. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with two horns the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. We'll stop there. So then there's this male goat. There's this goat with a conspicuous horn. Conspicuous means like, Prominent, or really speaks of a strong ruler now. Remember the horn talks about a king, a leader, ruler. And its feet now, this goat, is not touching the ground, and it speaks of the speed of the army of this next world empire. These animals are speaking about world empires, kind of like the previous vision we saw in chapter 7. So the goat comes in, tackles the ram to the ground, and powerfully just takes over, just stomps him out, tramples him. Then look at verse 8 now. 
Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So here this little horn now came up. Uh, after, or, or I'm sorry, the, the great horn was broken, and then there was four conspicuous or strong prominent horns that came up uh, toward the four heavens. Now, exceedingly great means a very powerful ruler. It means that it was bro- uh, this horn was broken or taken out, and then four other horns, prominent ones, came up and replaced that one. Now, the four winds of heaven means like the four direction of the earth. Well, what we see here is four leaders, four rulers uh, rose up and took four sections of this empire, the goat. Then after that, look at verse 9 and 10. Out of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of... um, some of the hosts and some of the stars that threw down to the ground and trampled on them. All right, so then this leader rose out of that one of the areas and became very powerful, and that's this little horn. This leader oppressed the host of heaven, and that refers to the Jewish people. Remember back in Genesis 15, 5, God told Abraham his descendants will be as many as stars in the night sky. And so this is Israel. This is the Jews. And so many of these hosts, these stars, the Jews, they were killed. Now, go to verse 11 now. It became great, even as great as the prince of hosts, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground. It will act and prosper. So in this, the next two verses, this little horn, this leader, will even go against the prince. And you know what that is talking about? That talk, speaks of God himself. So this leader, this little horn that rises up, he's going to go against God. And how's that? By taking away or stopping the regular burnt offering. He's going to stop the regular rituals of the Jewish people in the sanctuary, in the Jewish temple. Now it says this is the transgression that he does, which is an evil desecration we're going to see, that this wicked ruler will do. And he'll also throw truth to the ground. That means he's going to destroy Scripture. But then look at verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14. But then he says, I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and hosts to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. All right, then after Daniel sees all this, sees this little horn, this leader, and going against the stars of Jewish people and all that, then Daniel sees a holy one. What is that? Well, it's an angel. And this angel is asking another angel, how, how long will this go on? How long will this transgression that makes desolate going into the temple, stopping the sacrifices? Well, the angel 
turns to Daniel at that point, and he says, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. What's that talk, what is that talking about? What is talking about the morning and evening sacrifice that the, the Jewish people gave. They would give a lamb in the morning, give a sacrifice lamb in the evening. They're saying, well, for 2,300 days, basically, uh, and if you use the Jewish calendar of 360 days of year, that comes out to about six and a, about a, a little over a third years, six and a third years that this is going to go on. So then it's going to go on for that, but then the, the Jewish sacrifices will be restored. So Daniel's given this vision, particularly about how this world leader will rise up, who will persecute the Jewish people, uh, how he'll stop the worship of God, their sacrifices, but then God will stop him, and it will not go on forever. Now, um, who is these countries? Who is these empires? Well, we're going to get to that in the next section. But I just want you to see just, just a little bit of this, of trying to understand what's going on here. This is what's shown Daniel. This is what's shown to come for Israel. So understand that this is what's shown to come for Israel. And that's our heading here. You know, Warren Wiersbe gives us a little more insight on this writing by saying, from chapter 8, which is what we're in, to the end of the book of Daniel, the text is written in Hebrew. For the major emphasis, Wiersbe says, of these chapters is God's plan for the nation of Israel in the end times. Now that should really open our minds up to what's going on here. Why Dan, uh, the vision, God is giving this vision to Daniel. It's a focus on what will happen in the future with Israel. Now you remember back in chapter 2 verse 4 I mentioned Daniel had written in Hebrew from chapter 1 but in chapter 2 verse 4 Daniel switched to the language of the Babylonians of that time, Aramaic. And then it was Aramaic all the way now to the end of chapter 7. Now chapter 8, it switched to Hebrew in the original language here. And why was it Aramaic? Well, you remember what I was talking about. It was a focus on, on the Gentile world empires. How Nebuchadnezzar saw that image, right, of gold and the different metals. And then God came in and, and gave his perspective of, of these world empires in chapter 7. But now the focus is different. The focus is on what will happen to Israel. So this is what we see here. The vision gives some details of future situations the people of Israel will go through and get through. Let me say that again. This is our point. The vision gives some details of the future situation the people of Israel will go through and get through. This is why this vision is given. This is why uh, you see the stars and the holes, and it's all bringing up this story of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. But we see in the end, God, God will get them through. He's, he's going to bring back these sacrifices. In other words, God's going to be there. So the vision gives some details but the peop of what's going to happen to the people of Israel, but they're going to get through this. You know, a few weeks ago when this um, coronavirus w began to pick up steam, and I, I heard this, I, I read this report of how police in Newport, Oregon, had put this post on their official Facebook page. And this is what the message said. Do not call 911 just because you ran out of toilet paper. You will survive, in capital letters. 
without our assistance. Yes, you know what was happening. People were calling in an emergency. Since the stores were all bought out and they were empty of toilet paper, it was an emergency. They wanted the police to come and help them bring the toilet paper. And the post actually goes on talking about, well, here's some uh, uh, alternative ways you can, things you can do. But basically, hey, don't worry. You'll get by. You will survive. Well, this is what this vision is, is giving to Daniel. This is what God is saying. Daniel is told through this vision that his people, Israel, will survive. This vision is to show what's going to happen with the world, with the future of Israel. But they're going to get through it. They're going to go through this, but they're going to get through it. They're going to survive. Let me say this. As we face this, this, these uncertain times, right, it's hard not to fear. It's hard not to be worried over our future. I mean, the unknown is so scary sometimes, and we, we get in a panic. It can overwhelm us. We start, our minds start spinning, right? Will, will the virus spread more? Is it going to get more worse? Am I going to catch it? Am, am I going to go down with it? Will our island survive, you know, here on Maui? Will our economy be able, economy be able to bounce back? How am I, how am I going to get through this time? How am I going to pay rent or my car payment, all that? Will Will we make it through, Lord? God's saying, yes. No worries, yes. You know what? God has a future for you. Know that. He has a future. He has a future for Israel. That's what, that's what God is giving Daniel. Think of it this way. God gave Daniel this vision because he knew exactly what was going to happen to Israel. And he knew exactly what they were going to go through, but they were going to get through it also. God knows the future, you guys. God knows your future. God holds the future. He holds your future. God, just as much as God has a future and holds the future for Israel. So God has your future in his hand. God holds your future in his hand. Look, he has a special plan for Israel. And if he has a special plan for Israel, he has a special plan for you, too. Now, I don't know what the future holds, but I know the God who holds the future. Remember that. Hold on to that. I don't know what the future holds, but I know the God who holds the future. All right, well, let's go on now. Let's go on to number two in our outline, what's sure to come. In this preview of the last world leader, we've seen what's shown to come. And number two is what's sure to come. What's sure to come. Take a look with me here. We're going to be covering in this section from verse 15 through 26, the first part. But verse 15 through 19 right now, let's, let's look at this together. Verse 15 through 19 here. So it says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, verse 19, Behold, I will make known to you what, what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now we'll stop right there. 
Now Daniel was there, you know, sitting there, seeing this vision, heard the two angels speak, and then he's trying to like just take it in all. He's trying to understand what, what's going on. Then what looked like a man stood in front of him, between him and the river bank. And he heard this man call out, Gabriel, help him understand what he saw. Now who is this man? Who is this person, this being right there? Well, most likely, and most commentators agree, that this is a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It's before he came down to this earth, as born as a baby, grew up as a man, and died on a cross. But this is the appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Sometimes uh, this appearance is called a, called a theophany. So, I believe this is Jesus right there, the Lord right there, uh, right there with Daniel. And then who is Gabriel? Well, he is the angel of God, which we're going to see more in this book. I mean, Gabriel, he, he, he you know what? Gabriel works in, in the office, the Department of Communication for, for the Lord, you know, because, uh, you know, in Luke chapter 1, he came to Zechariah and said, Hey, your baby's going to be John the Baptist. And then he went to Mary and said, Hey, you're pregnant with ooh, Jesus Christ. So uh, Gabriel's like, a, a, he was a communication major and graduated and all that. But anyway, he, he's, he's the messenger here. So Gabriel then, okay, Lord, I'll, he speaks to Daniel and he starts to tell Daniel, This vision is for the times of the end. And then when the angelic being speaks, Daniel's just taken back i mean can you imagine the lord there and can you imagine you know like then this angels talking to you so so daniel's frightened he's like whoa he's in awe he's like whoa you know shaking he falls on his face face and then he basically he goes to sleep meaning he faints but gabriel like touches him revives him get up come on you know gets him back on his feet and then interesting gabriel the angel says let me explain to you about what shall be at the latter end of indignation. Now that talks about what will happen later when, when God ends this world leader, what we were just seeing here. But not only that, I think it's very interesting here, right? Not only that, he says this also refers to the appointed time of the end. You know what that's talking about? That's speaks about what happens at the end of history. In other words, the latter end of over here, but also we're gonna, it's going to relate to the end of history. I think that's very interesting. The vision of a coming leader is just like a world leader who is coming in the way distant future. That's what's going on here. You know, John MacArthur writes, this term has likely a double sense of fulfillment. And that's what we're going to see here. What we see in this one world leader, we're going to see uh, that's what the last world leader is going to be like. So this one world leader is a preview of the last world leader. And that's what the angel is talking about. That's our title. So now the angel goes on to explain here. Now look at verse 20. What this, what this vision is about. Verse 20, As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. We'll stop there. So, okay, the two horns and the ram represents the kings of the Medes and Persians. So that's what this ram, that's the empire, but 
but also the two horns is about the leaders, the rulers of the world. Remember, we were talking about that back in uh, uh, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's image of that statue. They were the chest of silver. Remember Babylon, the first world power was the head of gold, and the chest of silver was the Medes and the Persians, the second world power. They were the world uh, uh, empire uh, back then. And, and that was the lopsided bear, right? Two of the legs were were longer in Daniel's vision in chapter 7. Well, the two horns and the ram represents these kings of the Medes and Persian. Interesting, interesting, because in verse 3 we saw how one horn, right, was taller than the, the smaller one, right? One horn came out longer, and, and history tells us the king of the Medes had gained control around the area of Babylon, Egypt, and everything. But then a more powerful Cyrus, the king of Persia, came and conquered it all. But he allowed the Medes to like combine with him. Even though Cyrus was still up here, it's stronger and had more authority. He allowed the leader of the Medes to like combine with him and still kind of rule in that area. Thus their name, the Medo-Persian Empire. And you know what's interesting? Note this. They stamped their coins and put on their banners. Guess what animal? A duck. No, just joking. A ram. A ram. Interesting. Now, God knew and, and brought this vision of a ram. Well, look at verse 21 and verse 22 now. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, a place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. So I, I think this is so interesting. I mean, the Medes and Persians is named, and now in verse 21, the king of Greece is mentioned. As in verse 5, history tells us how, how, how that Greece took over the world. So the male goat, the goat, is the Greek empire with its rulers. And that was right, the, the third world power. The great horn is the first king of Greece. And you guys know your history? You know who that is? That's right. You got it right. Everyone gets an A for today. Alexander the Great. Now, if you remember Nebuchadnezzar's statue, that was the stomach and the thighs of bronze. In Daniel's vision in chapter 7, that was a leopard with the four wings, right? So the, and then, so the one great horn is Alexander the Great. Well, the four horns is the four leaders who ruled the four parts of the Greek empire when Alexander died. So we see this, the angels interpreting, giving this out, and, and, and we see this in history. Uh, interesting, verse 5, history, we see, you know, that Alexander the Great, um, um, he quickly took over the countries, right? In verse 5, it's talking about the animal didn't touch the ground. Well, history tells us how Alexander the Great quickly took over countries, and, and it became a world empire quickly in 331 B.C. Uh, interesting, some of the Greeks who came from Macedonia were known as, guess what, the goat people. History tell, also tells us that Alexander the Great was 33, old, 33 years old in 323 B.C. when he suddenly died of malaria and complications with alcoholism. So that's that great horn being broken suddenly. History tells us four of his generals split the empire into four parts, right? 
Cassander, Macedonia and Greece, he took that area. Uh, Lysimachus took Thrace in Asia Minor. Uh, Seleucus took Syria and Babylon, and Ptolemy was over Egypt. So his four generals took up, those are those four horns in this prophecy. These rulers were in like verse 22, not with his power, not like Alexander. They weren't as great, but they took over. Now, isn't that amazing, you guys? I think this is so amazing. What Daniel saw in his vision, it, it, it was 220 years about before any of this happened. God gave him this vision. The angel uh, relayed the interpretation, the meaning of this, and actually named these empires. I think that's amazing. Well, let's go on here. Verse 23 and through the first part of 25 now. It says, As for the horn, um, or excuse me, and verse 23, And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their limit, a king of boldface, one who understands riddles, shall rise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but by no human hand. And so... Here we see that uh, next comes the little horn, and that's what he's talking about here. This little horn uh, that we saw in verse 9 is the world leader actually named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. That's who this little horn is. That is this next leader who rose up at the latter end of the Greek Empire. Now, towards the end of the Greek Empire, actually after Antiochus Epiphanes passed away, soon after the Romans came and took over the Grecian Empire. But so at the latter end rose up Antiochus, and it was during the time we read here where where there was a, a lot of wickedness. Uh, the Greek society went down. There's a lot of sin going on according to the Bible, uh, the Bible standards and all. Well, Antiochus rose into power in that last end of the, of the Grecian time uh, in, in 175 B.C. He murdered his brother, took over the throne of the Seleucid Empire, uh, and then he took over a third of Greece and Syria, Babylon, and then he went to Egypt, toward the south, and took Ptolemy's uh, area over there. And then he headed east to where Jerusalem is, as we are reading in verse 9. Well, he began to persecute and kill the Jews, as we saw in verse 10 and mentioned there. Antiochus be became so wicked, uh, and, and he became such a strong leader that he was, we read here, bold-faced. It means he was boldly like immoral, boldly a wicked man, boldly real mean. He, he was a king, a ruler who understands riddles. In other words, he could solve problems in the world. It seemed like he knew the answers and he could take care of everything going on. Antiochus had great power. But notice it says here in, in the verses we read, not by his own power. You know what's that talking about? His rise to power was more of like a satanic source. Antiochus also persecuted, like in verse 24, the saints. You know, that's talking about the, the Jewish people, as we read earlier. 
He was killing the leaders. He was killing the priests. And, and he stopped the sacrificing, the feasts, and the rituals of what we talked about in verse 11 and 12. Antiochus built himself up. And, and he built himself as being defined. Matter of fact, Antiochus Epiphany uh, speaks about Epiphany, that he is like a god. He built himself in that way. And he even went against, we saw in the uh, section above, that he went against the prince, and here it's the prince of princes, and that is the Lord God himself. Some commentators saying, that's talking about Jesus here. But either way, it's God. And we know, as we said, uh, Antiochus went and stopped the sacrifices, but he, he did worse. The desecration that he did, he went into the Jewish temple, he came in, set up a statue of Zeus, sacrificed a pig on the altar in there, and forced the Jews to eat the pig and drink its blood. So this is how evil this man was, super evil. But then notice here in verse 25 now, it says here that, um, and at the end of 25, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Verse 26, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. So here now, we see that he was broken. He was put to death here, and by no human man. You know what? History tells us that Antiochus got really sick, went mentally insane, and then he died by no human man. And others, people are like, whoa, he died supernaturally. So God ended Antiochus Epiphanes and his evil reign of terror. And that's what said, you know, about um, what, what we see in verse 26, what the angel had said earlier about the evening and morning, right, about the sacrifice, about the 2,300 evenings and mornings in verse 14. Remember that referred to the sacrifices, the evening and morning sacrifices of um, the Jews, and it stopped for six years and a third. Well, history tells us now, listen to this, Antiochus stopped sacrifices in September of 171 B.C. Well, after that, Toward the end of the, the six years and a third, uh, six and a third years, uh, uh, the efforts of Judas Maccabeus, uh, you probably know his name, he fought against the Greeks and he finally won and took over the temple and the priests went in and purified it and sacrifices began on December 14th, 165 B.C., isn't that amazing? That's six and a third years of the 2,300 evening and mornings that was prophesied right here in the book of Daniel. That came to pass. And when uh, Judas Maccabees took over and they started the sacrifices, uh, again, they began to celebrate every year what is called the Feast of Lights of what happened. And you know what that is? Hanukkah. That's what they celebrate today. So interesting, right? In verse 26, the angel says, what has been told is true. We can look back in history and see indeed that it did come true. God gave Daniel this detailed and accurate vision. Think about this. Almost 400 years before it even happened. 376 years before it ever any of this happened. This is 
what's sure to come. What the angel told Daniel is what's sure to come. You know, this really made me think about Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. And it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I love that. What God says he will do, he's not going to lie. In this vision, in the meaning of it, in the interpretation that the angel relays to Daniel from God, it's true. It is true. It's, it's what's sure. What's sure to come. God, what God says will come to pass. And you know, we can look back and say, it did. It did. So, what Daniel learns is this. History will tell of the succession of world leaders that leads to one who will persecute the Jews and desecrate their temple. That's what we see here. The angel is giving Daniel. Daniel learns this. History will tell of the succession of world leaders that leads to one who will persecute the Jews and desecrate their temple. That's what this vision gives Daniel, what history will tell of in this event about the Jews. You know, I was thinking about this. History also tells us of in Hawaii, the revival, how the revival came about. It's interesting, right before the overthrow of the couple system in 1819 and the arrival of the missionaries to Hawaii uh, right after that, a, 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 a believing Hawaiian, a one true God believing uh, Kaula, uh, Kaula means prophet, he prophesied that Lono, the God of peace, would return to Hawaii in a new form. And that he would return to Hawaii in a small black box and speak a language that they would not understand. Interesting, right? Even a generation before that, uh, there was another prophecy by another uh, Kaula who prophesied the overthrow of the Kapu system and that communication uh, uh, will be made to the Hawaiian people by Kaukua Maoli, the true God. And on top of that, there was another prophecy by the Kahuna Nui, the high priest of the evil Pa'ao, who brought the whole Kapu system and human sacrifices. The last prophet there, Aheva Heva, pointed to a rock on the shore of Kalua Bay in Kona and told King uh, Kamehameha II, Liho Liho, told the king, here, he pointed to this rock, and he said, here, O king, the new God shall come. Interesting prophecies that were given. Well, when the missionaries reached a big island, and they were directed there because uh, they wanted to meet the king, and they, knew, they were told that the king was there. Guess where they landed? They landed on that rock, March 30th, 1820. And today it's known as Plymouth, the Plymouth Rock of Kona. And when they first stepped onto Plymouth Rock, they carried, guess what, a small black box. And you know what was inside of that? The Bible. The Bible. And of course, it was an English translation, right? So as it was prophesied, it was a language that they could not or would not understand. The missionaries, um, back then, they would carry, uh, they carried the Bible in the box to protect it from the elements because Bibles were really hard to come by and precious to them. 
So isn't that amazing? What was prophesied did come true. History tells of it. History shows it. And this is what Daniel was given. History will tell of the succession of world leaders uh, that will lead to one who will persecute the Jews, persecute the Jews and desecrate their temple. And as we look back on history, history does show it. What history was uh, what it's going to tell of, it does tell that. You know what? It's been said, prophecy is history written in advance. Say that again. Good thing to think about, right? Prophecy is history written in advance. So, listen up here. You can have complete confidence in God. You can trust in His Word. You you can know what God says will will come true. Why? Because if these prophecies came true, what we're studying in the book of Daniel, then prophecies yet to come, they will come true. God doesn't lie. His Word is real. His his Word is living. His Word is His Word, and He's going to keep it. You know, if Jesus says he'll come and bring us home one day, if Jesus says, I'm going to come day one day and rule and reign on the earth, you know what? He will. If over 300 prophecies of the first coming of Christ, when he came to this earth to be born a baby and, and then to grow up and to die on a cross, if over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament came true, then you know, do you know what? Do you think that over 800, over 1,000 prophecies on his second coming about around his, and about his second coming, do you think that'll come true? Yes, it will. So know this, in this time of virus crisis, go to God and know beyond a doubt what God says he will do it. What God promises he will keep you guys. Hold on to the word of God. Study the word of God. Know that God keeps his promises, right? And know what he puts in the word is true. You know, I know the word of God. It's true. You know why? Because I know the God of the word will keep his promises. All right, well, let's go on to number three now. Let's go to number three, what's still to come. What's still to come, and we'll go quickly here. We've seen the preview of the last world leader, what's shown to come, uh, what's sure to come, number two, and now number three, what's still to come. And we're going to finish off this chapter here, verse 26 and verse 27, but let's pick it up here at the end of verse 26. Verse end of 26 It says, the angel tells Daniel, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. We'll stop there. Okay, the angel Gabriel instructs Daniel to seal up the vision. Now, what that means is to write it down and save it for later. And and why is that? Well, he says it refers to many days from now. In other words, it won't make any sense to anyone right now. I mean, it's barely making sense to Daniel. But it will become very clear in what it's talking about later now remember what the angel said back in verse 19 i mean take a look at that one more time it says behold i will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of indignation for it refers to the appointed time of the end remember how we talked about that that the angel says hey this is not going to be about you know what's what's coming up but it's also going to refer or pertain to it or or also going to be attached to to what's going to happen at the end of history so and antiochus epiphanies we can look back and we can see wow that fulfilled that right and then then we can look now into the future saying wow that means the last world leader the antichrist that's what he's going to be like so 
This refers to how Antiochus' epiphany was like what the future world leader, the last world leader, is going to be like. This is what he's going to be like. Now, the, so it's hard to understand right now, uh, the angel saying, but later it's going to make sense. And we're in the later, you guys. We're in this part where we can look back on history and say, wow, we see that. We see, we see other passages that speak of the Antichrist and how, wow, that's like Antiochus. That's what it's going to be like. Now, understand, as I mentioned before, the Antichrist is going to rise up during the last seven years of the world as we know it, known as the tribulation years, the, uh, Jacob's trouble. It's prophesied in, in, in that way. And he's going to be the ruler of this last world empire. But understand the Antichrist is going to be like Antiochus. He's that little horn, right, that we saw uh, in, in the other chapter. He's going to be this manipulative political ruler. He's going to understand riddles. He's going to have answers to our economy. He's going to have answers to how to bring the world together. He's going to have answers to how to bring peace in the Middle East. He's going to be that quote-unquote uh, Mahdi, the, the Islamic Messiah, and the Jews are looking for the Messiah, someone to come, a savior for them to get the temple going again, and that's what the Antichrist is going to do. But one thing that really sticks out, like Antiochus, that the Antichrist will do is he will desecrate the rebuilt Jewish temple, and that's what we're going to see in the tribulation time. Uh, he's going to go into that rebuilt temple. He's going to stand on the altar. He's going to declare himself God and, and require the whole world, even the Jews, to worship him. And that's that desecration. That's what later Daniel's going to call the abomination of desecration. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, look, in the future, which is interesting because Antiochus was, was, bef- you know, was already past in history, and Jesus is using even what Daniel said uh, in what we're going to study, saying, hey, the abomination of desolation is coming, Matthew 24, 15. So you see, and Antiochus, Epiphany is a preview of the last world leader, the Antichrist. So, this is what the angel is saying. This is what's still to come. So, seal it up. Write it down. It's for people later to understand this. And that's what we're here today. We can read and understand what has happened back in history to see a preview of what's going to happen. This is what's still to come. Thus our heading. And so our last verse, verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So here's Daniel. He was overcome physically, emotionally. I mean, he, he lay sick. I, I was thinking, you know, he's like over seven years old at this point, And this was just a lot, you know, a lot for him to take in. Where, when it right, says here that he was appalled, that means astounded, astounded. The NLT actually says greatly troubled or translates it that way. Why? Because it was hard to take it in. It was hard to understand. It's hard to grasp everything back in Daniel's time. We have the luxury of looking back on history and, and seeing what, what happened and how it all, all laid out. And so that can help us to understand it. But under, also, see this. Daniel not only was concerned about what was going to happen to Jewish people, but what was also moving him was Daniel also had a great burden for God and his kingdom. 
He had a great burden that God would be glorified. I mean, the, the temple, Jerusalem, God city, in the way he saw, that was, that was it. That was God being glorified. If, if, if Israel could go back to the homeland, if Israel can start to sacrifice, start to worship God, in, God again, for him, that was God being glorified, the kingdom of God, the nation of Israel coming back together. And that was his burden, really, for God to be glorified. May we be that too. And all of that, all of what we're going through, may we keep an eye on that. And I love this. One more thing here. In verse 27, right in the middle, Daniel says, Then I arose and what? Went about the king's business. I love that. He did not wallow and not be able to fully understand what's going on. He did not get distracted and, well, I'm just going to study prophecy now. You know, He did not quit his job and just wait for the future to come. You know what he did? He went back to business. And what was his business? To serve the king. To, to, to do what, uh, what God had called him to do. To, to be where God had placed him. And I believe David knew God called him to be in that position with the king to be a light and witness. The vision of the future didn't stop Daniel from serving the Lord. And I think it motivated him even more. You know what I thought about? Is remember when Jesus told that parable about the master telling his ten servants that he was going to go away? And then in Luke 19, uh, 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 this was in Luke 19 and verse 13, then Jesus said, engage in business until I come. The master told his servants, well, that's what Jesus is telling us. Watch for my coming, but keep at doing what I asked you to do. So it seems for Daniel, and this is our last point here, and we'll wrap it up. Knowing a little more of what's coming in the future is the motivation to get back to serving the living God. Knowing a little more of what's coming in the future is the motivation to get back to serving the living God. You know, we're in this order, right? Uh, under this order, stay-at-home order, right? To, to, to not go out if we don't have to, not, you know, not congregate you know, and gather together you know, physically, uh, you know, keep the social distancing and stay at home. But you know what? We sh- that should not stop us from calling each other. It should not stop us from, from reaching out to our family, whether texting or calling or, or Zoom or whatever that is. It should not stop us from connecting together like we are electronically online. It is so important that we continue to do what God has set us to do, even learning these things and knowing that this coronavirus could be another step into what's coming in the future of what has been prophesied in the Bible. So it's important, you guys, that knowing a little more what's coming in the future, that should motivate us even more to get back to serve God, to reach people for Jesus Christ. I want to give you something here. I want to give you three things that I think it's, it's been on my heart these past weeks. And I want to, this is an assignment for you. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Number two, care. Care on each other. Call each other. And number three, share. Pray, care, and share. Share Jesus' love with one another. Share the word. Share the gospel. Shine the light in that way. Be more bold like never before. Start to live for God. That, this is Daniel. Knowing a little more of what's coming in the future, that motivated him to get back to serving the living God. Now, quickly turn to Romans chapter 13. 
uh, in the New Testament to the right, Romans 13. And I just want to read you these verses and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Uh, this is what, what really, really God is calling us to do. So Romans chapter 13, Romans 13 here, Romans 13, look at verse 11, we're going to read verses 11 through 14. Paul writes here from verse 11, Beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, and in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousies, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. This is... Daniel, that's what he went when he went about the king's business. After all the prophecies, he goes back to living for God and even more. So let's get motivated, you guys. We, we see God is moving in this world and he's reaching out to people. Let's be part of that. Let's, number one, pray. Let's, number two, care. Let's share. Pray, care, and share, guys. Let's be motivated to really live for God. Stop living for ourselves. Stop living for our flesh. But live in the Spirit and for Jesus Christ and get living for Him. Get motivated. I'll close with this story. This is from the Reader's Digest. An assistant at a dental office wrote, at the busy dental office when, where I work, one patient was always late. Once when I called to confirm an appointment, he said, I'll be about 15 minutes late. That won't be a problem, will it? No, I told him. We just won't have time to give you an anesthetic. Well, guess what? He arrived early. <laughs> I love that. When you know what's coming, it should motivate you. It should change our life. We should, we should take the time. We should make the time. We should make the effort to do what we need to do, to pray, care, and share. And we see there is a time coming, right, where a last world ruler, a wicked ruler will rise up. And we see that that exactly is what happened in our study in Daniel, a precursor of what's to come. So that should motivate us even more for Jesus, as we've seen, a preview of the last world leader. Let's pray. Lord God, as we pray right now, we look to you. Thank you that you love us and you care for us. And, and your word reaches out to us because you love us and you care for us. And God, I pray for those right now who, who have not been walking with you, Lord, and that you are calling them right now to live for you, to to not fulfill the flesh anymore, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to live for you, to pray, care, and share. I pray for those right now who have never received Christ in their hearts, that this will be the moment right now that they will receive Jesus. As our heads are bowed right now, I ask those of you who want to commit your life to the Lord, who want to recommit your life, that you would just repeat after me right now. Repeat after me as I pray. Dear Lord, Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me and cleanse me. Come into my life. Send your Holy Spirit and make me new. As I give my life to you, I surrender all. 
I accept you into my heart right now. I believe in you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, you guys. If you prayed that prayer, talk to those people near you. At, at the end, we're going to sing one more song of worship. And um, uh, be sure to connect with us. So let's worship the Lord right now.